This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Seven years ago, when my family moved to Troy, we moved into what was the north end of Troy, and beyond that was cornfields. We lived at the north end of town. Seven years later, suburban sprawl has swallowed that up. And it's been kind of fun to watch other houses go up around us. For the last few years, there was a sign on the corner uh, near our house that said that you could purchase these patio homes for such and such a price. Patio homes. So I assumed it was a home with a patio on the back. Believe it or not, that's exactly what it is. It's a home with a patio on the back. Cookies on the bottom shelf for people like me. And it's been fun to see these homes go up in various places around the fields. And just yesterday as I was coming to my house, I saw a wonderful couple sitting on their patio next to their home enjoying the wonderful weather. Sitting on the patio next to their home. Patio home. Right next to their house, another one was being built. The foundation blocks had gone in, and you could see piping and room for ducts and heating and AC and all the things that have to happen as you are in the building phase of that house. There's an interesting tension between those two plots of property. One house is built. It's being enjoyed. There's celebration there. Family sitting in the back, taking in the sun. Right next to it is a house under construction. Vastly different phases. Vastly different realities. And that makes sense to us. It wouldn't make sense if you got those two mixed up. When the building phase is over, it's time for the electrician to go home. It's time for the HVAC guys to go home. It's time for the roofing guys to go home. You don't have the mingling around in your home after the building phase. That would be weird. Pack up the tools. Pack up the vans. Go home. Right? That would be awkward. Why are you still here? In the same way, it would be very odd and even frustrating if in the middle of the building phase, people were just sitting around enjoying their afternoon tea and sandwiches while people are trying to build. We're trying to build here. What are you doing? Nothing. Obviously. (laughs) Understanding that dynamic and that tension is key in the passage that we're going to look at this morning. We're finishing up our summer journey through 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you've missed any of that, you can go catch up on our website online. But we've been learning what love really is. Agape, devotion, to be devoted to other people. And what we're going to see this morning, that the passage that we're looking at hinges in the life of a healthy follower of Jesus Christ. It is the hinge for what will become a healthy church, a fellowship that wants to follow after Jesus Christ. Knowing what phase are we in? Are we building? Or are we celebrating? So let me ask God's blessing and we're going to read this passage together and then we'll make some observations. We'll see what the Holy Spirit wants to do. I do ask that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit would be here with us this morning. Moving in our midst to transform, to change, to confront, to heal. Would you please, Holy Spirit, hold up the light of the cross, the gospel, all that Jesus has done. May we leave here having fallen in love even more with the good news of our Lord. And also living lives that reflect the gospel that saved us and changed us. I thank you for my friends that have been, that are here this morning. Please help us today. Open our eyes to behold the beautiful things that are in your truth. Open our hearts to receive them. In your name we pray. Amen.
Let's read this passage together. You follow along. I'm going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, just to get us into it. But then I'm going to read through chapter 13. This is what we've been doing each Sunday, just to remind ourselves of where we've been. I will show you still a more excellent way, the Apostle Paul says. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. For love is patient, it's kind. As an envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things and hopes all things. Endures all things. In the passage we're going to look at this morning. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. And as for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully, fully known. He begins by saying, love never ends. Maybe in your translation it says, love remains. That's a good translation. That word love, agape, devotion to other, being devoted to others, that thing, it never falls apart. Everything else may fall apart. Love, it doesn't fall apart. There's an eternality about it. He's been connecting the idea of love with hope. Hope, knowing that Jesus is going to return and the story ends well, that this is going somewhere. He says, everything else, it comes to pieces. How many of us know what it means to have something fall apart? Yeah, yeah. Some of you make... Good, honest dollars on the fact that things fall apart and someone got to put them back together again, right? I know some of you have those skills. I have called you on a regular basis. Hey, this fell apart. And if you don't get over here, I'm just going to go buy a new one. And so my wife will be like, please come over. He's just going to go buy a new one. So Rob Hughes will come over or someone else will come over and fix this thing that's fallen apart. Why? Because things fall apart. Physicists tell us the entire universe is falling apart. It's going from order to chaos. Energy is going down. Things aren't getting better. Things are getting worse. On a cosmic level. But we also know that that's true on a relational level, a physical level. I had a chance to watch some soccer games yesterday. It's the official beginning of Troy soccer. So the boys were playing. I have two awesome young men playing soccer. And they went out on the field full of energy and strength, and they came off the field tired boys. Why? Because we're going from order to chaos. We're falling apart. We know what that means on a physical level. How many of you know what it means to fall apart on a physical level? Sure. You've felt that. You've experienced that. Yeah. Yeah, we're just going to wrap Vonnie in bubble wrap because no matter where she goes, she bumps into something, breaks something. It's a rib here. It's a knee there. We laugh with her. But you know, yeah, I went to the doctors and this is falling apart. We understand things fall apart. Relationally, how many of you know what it means for things to fall apart relationally? It was the whole. Something happened and it fell apart. But mentally, how many of us know what it means to have it together mentally and have it fall apart? Yeah, can I get an amen? Yeah, yeah. Things fall apart. 
but not love. Everything else falls apart, but not devotion. Devotion lasts. So in your notes, if you take out your notes, I gave you just a simple timeline. This is an arrow. And maybe this will be helpful for you, not so much as a fill-in, just as a point of reference. On the very beginning of the line in my set of notes, I put, agape never falls apart. I need to be reminded of that because I can give myself to things that have no staying power. I can work and exchange life for money at my job so that I can buy things that don't last. But when I invest in love, when I devote myself to the well-being of someone else in Jesus Christ, that goes on. The Apostle Paul's writing this letter to a culture that's all about building idols and monuments to themselves. We have archaeological ruins throughout the Corinthian culture where people had built testimonies to themselves. They're now in crumbles. Who knows how much dollars were invested in their self-glory? But even today, don't we have the same problem? We build monuments to ourselves. We invest time and dollars and energy to glorify self. But the Apostle Paul says, let me show you a more excellent way. Love, it never ends. Being devoted to someone else never ends. He says, going on in this verse, in verse 8, love never ends. It remains. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. Knowledge, it will pass away. I'll unpack all that in a little bit. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, that's key, the partial will pass away. When the perfect comes, there is a day, a point in time that everything shifts and changes. From that day on, everything is something else. There's a number that matters. You've heard of numbers. Numbers have come into your reality of significance. You go into a doctor's appointment and you think it's going to go this way. And then he says, there's this number. We need to talk about this number. And your life is different, right? Hey, can we talk about? There are dates on your calendar that matter. You, you write them down and you circle them and you highlight them and you, you leave them around for other people to see. See that date? See that date? Here it comes. Woot, woot. Can I share with you probably one of the most significant dates on the calendar? A day I know will transform you moving forward. It's Chicken Boy Day, September 1st. That's Chicken Boy. You don't know about Chicken Boy Day? Please, please, are you telling me that this is your first time being confronted with the beautiful reality of Chicken Boy Day? Oh my goodness. Let me bless you. Let me bless you. I, I, I happen to pull up some facts about National Chicken Boy Day. I'm not making this up. This is not just my own creativity running amok. Okay? This 22-foot-tall fiberglass statue was originally built in the 1960s for the Chicken Boy Fried Chicken Restaurant. That makes sense. It's located in Broadway in downtown, downtown L.A. in 1984. It was given to the artist who created it. Here's some facts. A 22 feet tall, made out of fiberglass, often referred to, and this says a lot, as Los Angeles' Statue of Liberty. Chicken Boy won the Governor's Historic Preservation Award. Chicken Boy statue received the Highland Park Heritage Trust Preservation Award. Chicken Boy was bought as a Paul Bunyan statue from the International Fiberglass Company and then was customized by an artist. And that makes a lot of sense. If you look at it, you say, that's Paul Bunyan. It's Paul Bunyan going to a Halloween party with a bucket of nachos. Right? That's what that is. That, that's exactly what that is. And it was preserved as a result of donations. 
you might ask yourself, where do I need to go to participate in National Chicken Boy Day? There is no specific location. You can celebrate it anywhere. Thank Jesus for that. How many of you will make it to September 2nd and your day and your life will not have been transformed one iota because of Chicken Boy Day? Yeah. There are some days. Now, some of you are like, dude, I'm all over that. Got to go see me, Chicken Boy. Now, maybe. maybe that, and that, and that's you, you do you. You do you. There is a day that does matter. The Apostle Paul says, but when the perfect comes, everything changes. When the perfect comes, that is a day that separates everything that's before it from everything that's after it. So in your notes, if you would, draw a center line from top to bottom, straight down through the middle of that timeline, from the, the middle of the page all the way down to the bottom of the page. Almost, if you will, giving yourself a cross. It's the timeline and that division. We're going to talk about what's on one side of the line versus what's on the other side of the line. The days that matter, the numbers that matter. On the left side, maybe we could call that half construction. And on the other half, we'll call that celebration. Before the perfect comes, before Jesus' return, we're in construction phase, like that one house where they're all working really, really hard to run wiring and conduit to lay foundation blocks and framing's gonna happen and roofing's gonna happen. That is under construction. But there's gonna be a part where construction's over. Then we're gonna move into celebration. Let's call that side celebration. Construction, celebration. Like the couple that was sitting on their patio in the evening sun yesterday. And we're gonna contrast these two phases this morning, like the two homes that I saw. And I need to know when I am and where I am and how to live. So let's see what the Apostle Paul has to say. I'm going to read verses 8 through 10 again. Love never ends. Prophecies, they'll pass away. Tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Prophecy, tongues, knowledge. He's talking about spiritual tools, gifts and resources that are given by the Spirit of God to build up the church. He's highlighting prophecy. He's highlighting tongues. He's highlighting knowledge. And he's done it multiple times in this chapter, the chapter before, and the chapter after it. Because they had a real, real difficult time understanding how these gifts and these tools are to operate. They'd become points of division. So if, if you will, I've got a pink tool bag here. This is the church's tool bag, okay? It's pink so we know who steals our stuff. Pink saw. Not that anyone would ever try to go cut anything with this. But I got a pink saw. I got a hammer. I got pliers. Different tools able to do different things in the right person's hand. <laughs> what had happened in the, er, in the church was they had begun to brag about the tools that they had. Oh, oh, I, I, I prophesy, I prophesy. Oh, oh, I have tongues, I have tongues. Oh, oh, I have knowledge, I have knowledge. Completely forgetting the fact that the tools that were given to them by the Spirit were for the purpose of building one another up. About as ludicrous as running around a build site saying, ooh, ooh, I have a hammer, I have a hammer, ooh, ooh, I have pliers, I have pliers. Why aren't you building anything? So underneath construction, write down the word toolbox or tool bag or resources or spiritual gifts. There are things like prophecy and, and knowledge and tongues and, uh, and lists of spiritual gifts mentioned throughout the New Testament that the Spirit, that this Holy Spirit imparts to believers to build up the church because we're in construction. 
That makes sense. But there's a time when the perfect comes, when the building phase is over and celebration has arrived, where you put the tools away. Maybe we could write that down underneath celebration. Put them away. Put them away. I think that begs a question. Do you know what tools the Holy Spirit has put in your bag? It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this is what he mentions just before this. He says, there are a variety of gifts. This is verse 4. The same Spirit, there are varieties of service. Same Lord, there's a variety of activities on the same God who empowers them to everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It's just not the pastor who's running around who's got himself some gifts. It's just not the most outgoing, charismatic person who has to do everything that, that, that has everyone as a follower of Jesus Christ has received a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So let me ask you, do you know what's in your tool bag? Do you know what the Spirit has placed there to help build up the church? Because we're in construction. We're in construction. We're not in celebration yet. He's now going to go illustrate this a little bit more with, with, with a few more lines. Uh, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. A child, a childlike faith. Scripture talks about that. Childish faith. An immature faith. Uh, so in one way in the New Testament that people who are young in the faith will be described a child in the faith, a faith that needs to grow. Because I'm not being childish, he says. The Corinthian church was being childish in how they were using their gifts and how they were spending their time together, fighting, bickering. An immature faith that needs to grow. There's something about this construction phase that we're in that's about growing faith. First is what he says, manhood, uh, maturity, the age of knowing, the age of ability, having grown in the faith. So in our notes, why don't we write down that tension? There's growing faith to grow the faith and faith fulfilled. Faith fulfilled and celebration Give you a chance to write that down. Build that faith. Build it up. There is a list of verses that I go to every week as I go into my writing time on Tuesdays. On Tuesday um, is when I sit down and I'll get ready for Sunday. I'll get ready for whatever's four weeks out. Normally that's when I'll write series and I'll do all that kind of thinking. And there's a list of verses there underneath the ink blotter on my writing desk that I'll pull out and I'll read through just to help anchor me and remind me what I'm about, what I should be doing. It's easy for me to get distracted. One of those verses is in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. I want to read it for you. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, Him we proclaim, Jesus, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, he powerfully works through me. So the Apostle Paul is saying, all of my effort and energy goes towards him working through me, warning and teaching. Why? To present people mature in Jesus Christ. Paul, what's your goal on Sunday morning? To help people become more like Jesus. That's, that's, that's it. That's it. Because I labor, there's energy, there's effort in the building project of presenting believers more mature in Jesus Christ to build their faith. That's key. That means we're starting to get a shape and an understanding of what true love is really all about. 
If I'm really loving somebody, that means my goal is to build their faith in Jesus Christ. That becomes a litmus test of what I'm saying, what I'm doing, how I'm vesting, how I'm acting. Am I loving my spouse the way God has invited me to love my spouse? Are you working to build their faith in Jesus Christ? No. You said it, not me. Am I loving my kids the way God has invited me to love my kids? Are you working to build their faith in Jesus Christ? No. Okay. But I'm a nice person. So? Yes, love is patient and love is kind. But the efforts and the work of, hi, how are you? I like your cane. Don't hit me with it. You will too. The effort and the work of love is what? Building the faith of others. This is now to shape my actions. This becomes a grid work. Am I loving others? Are you building the faith of them in Jesus Christ? That's what this is about. We are in the building phase, the construction phase. All of the tools and the resources and the energy is to do what? Build their faith. Now there is a time when the perfect one comes where faith is fulfilled. We don't have to build. We can put the tools down. Some of us would like to put the tools down. Faith fulfilled. Another illustration, he says it another way if we're back in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I put away childish ways. Verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face. Okay, mirrors were used in the same way that we use mirrors today to reflect back one's appearance, but mirrors were also used in another way. And your house might actually have these. Maybe you have a candle that hangs on a wall and has a mirror behind it so to maximize the light. Or you think of how a candelabra works to get the light to go as far as possible, to, to multiply and maximize the light because you're in a dim, dark place. You want light to do as much as it can. We can't see well right now because things are dark and things are broken. And no matter how, how we polish that mirror, no matter how what we do, it's still very dark. But there is a time where we make it to the other side of that dark room and we behold the one to whom we seek and we see him face to face. In construction, it's about having hope. Let's write that down. We see dimly, we see poorly. It's hard to discern voices and it's hard to discern shapes because of the brokenness of the world and, and the actions of sin and death and the evil forces that surround us. And it can be hard to have hope. And so if I'm devoted to one another, if I'm loving someone, my effort and my time goes to helping them have hope. And how I talk to my spouse, how I talk to my kids, how I talk to my coworker, how I sit with people in my life group or my Bible study, to increase light in their darkness, to help them have hope. Pastor, you don't know what it's like to be married to him. The way he snores, I pray Jesus comes every day. <laughs> Not that kind of hope. the genuineness of authentic relationship that will walk with someone, to cry with someone, to be present with someone, that they would have hope. In Jesus' return, hope in Jesus' return, knowing that there will become a time where we move from construction to celebrating and beholding Jesus face to face. I don't need to have hope. I'm with him. 
The Apostle Paul has given us two real important litmus tests to evaluate my actions. Am I really being loving? Am I building their faith? Do they have hope? If not, this is not agape. This is not devotion. Maybe you're just a nice person. You know, you're just concerned with the general humanity of all things. But a a wise person rightly said, you can't have Jesus without social justice. Okay? Right? If you love Jesus, then you are concerned with the well-being of the greater humanity. You cannot separate Jesus and social justice. But if you, you can't have social justice without Jesus. If I am acting in a loving, concerned way for somebody, then it will, one, build their faith. It will give them hope in Jesus' return. Have hope face to face. He goes on in verse 12. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. To know in parts, things are in parts, falling apart. Then I will be known fully, even as I have been fully known. To know someone and to be known. To be devoted to someone and to receive devotion in return. To let someone love me in all of my parts. That's hard. There are parts of me that I'm okay with you knowing about and, and showing you. I will show you the fancy, shiny, funny parts. I want you to see those parts. There's other parts of me I don't want you to see the broken parts and the sinful corrupted parts and the self-centered parts and the parts that have been cut and wounded and the parts that hurt if you touch them. So we love in parts. To be loved fully, that takes a lot of grace. That takes a lot of patience and kindness. And so we come on Sunday morning and we put forth the good parts and we show off the good parts and the smiling parts and we just, I'm so happy to see you. I'm so happy to see you. It's so good to see you. It's so good to see you. How is everything? Everything is great. Everything is awesome. And then we run to the car as fast as we possibly can and we bawl our eyes out thanking the good Lord they didn't see the truth. It's a motley crew of misfits, sinners and thieves. Of all the sinners, Paul said, I'm the chief. So we love each other in parts, laboring with one another, letting one another love each other knowing that there will be a time where we will be loved and love fully and know fully as we are fully known. But maybe in your notes today, it's just enough to say, I love in parts. And then we'll be loved fully. I was reading in Psalm 118 this morning. Psalm 118 is a great psalm to read on Sunday morning. If you need a good place to start your Sunday morning, read Psalm 118. It's awesome. It's all about going up into the temple and God's people and anchoring ourselves in what's truth and the spirit working. Love Psalm 118. It's also where it says the stone that's been rejected has become the chief cornerstone. We all know what a cornerstone is, prayerfully. When you begin to build, you lay the cornerstone. And everything on the foundation takes its line from that cornerstone. This is the verse that became applied to Jesus Christ. He's the chief cornerstone. Everything in my life is to be lined up along with, cord with, that stone that is Jesus. So is my life in line with Christ? Wasn't he fully devoted Isn't he fully devoted to us? For our faith, for our hope, loving us fully, 
So I need to reflect and examine my life. How well do I accord to the example of Jesus? Here's some questions that might help. Are you helping build? Ask yourself that question. Are you helping build? If you were to go through uh, 1 Corinthians 14, which comes after 1 Corinthians 13, if you didn't know the pattern, in 1 Corinthians 14, listen, I'm just going to read through these real fast. This is what the Apostle Paul says in four times. This is verse 5, that the church may be built up. Verse 12, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive and excel to build up the church. Verse 17, the other person not being built up. Verse 26, let all things be done for building up. Our focus is to build others up. How? Build up their faith in Jesus Christ. That's hard. I'd much rather focus on myself. So when you're building, sometimes it helps to have, you know, things plotted out. In your notes, there might be a sheet of graph paper. Would you find that, please, and pull it out? Where's my graph paper? This is graph paper. We'll do plot out some building. Okay. It says, pursue devotion. That's what it says at the end of 1 Corinthians. Everything should be done that the church may be built up. Let all things that you do be done out of devotion to others. Great words. Pursue, chase it. Everything that you do. So this kind of helps us take a little bit of a gauge. There are 730 hours in your month. Did you know that? Yeah, 730. What I did was I took a third of that away to accommodate for sleep. And I gave you a graph that has 520 squares on it. One square per hour. That's your month, okay? Maybe I'm being generous. If you sleep eight hours a day and that's your habit, awesome. This will reflect you. If you sleep less than that, you need more squares. You need more squares, okay? But this is 520. 520. If you're like me, this is going to hurt a little bit. Okay? We want to fill in where we are actually building faith and giving other people hope. What is your devotion quotient? How many hours out of 520? Remember, it has to do these two things. It's intentional time building people's faith and giving them hope. Being a nice person doesn't do that. How many of you don't like the exercise? I know, right? I know, it hurts. It hurts me too. And so you're like, um, let's just say I don't do anything and I need some help. Awesome. Let's start at the beginning. Let's say that we're all a little bit self-centered, narcissistic. Let's say we like to put self in front of all others. Let's say that we're arrogant and we're rude and we insist on our own way. All those words that the Apostle Paul you know, taught, gave us in the beginning of the passage. Let's say that's us. Where can I start? Let's put the cookies on the bottom. These cookies go on the shelf below the bottom shelf. Okay? Okay. At House on the Rock, from a serving perspective, the smallest serving block that we have is a two-hour commitment on a Sunday morning. Maybe let's say that's serving in the nursery once a month or serving on during one hour of the um, first impressions or one by two hours, okay? Two hours. Do that once a month. If you look down at the bottom right of that graph, I filled in two blocks for you. That means that you are serving Jesus 0.38% of your time. Hold on a second. I serve every other Sunday. That's 50% of the time. 
Two out of four is 50%. Do you see how we take the Christian life and we relegate it and marginalize it to a very small window on Sunday morning? Do you see how we answer that question? It's a beautiful, very comfortable lie. Aren't we supposed to pursue devotion and pursue love and chase after every possible moment that we can to build up the faith and the hope of our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ? But let's start somewhere. Let's start there. And I think those cookies are on the bottom shelf. Let's start building. One rotation on one Sunday a month. Jesus, you love me so much. I think 0.38% of my time is a wonderful response. Another question. Do you know the tools that are in your bag? Do you know how the Holy Spirit has gifted you to encourage others, to build their faith, to give them hope? I mean, you read Romans chapter 12 and you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and you read uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. And there's lists upon lists of varieties of gifts and means and resources that the Holy Spirit has put in you. Why? To build up the church. Do you know what they are? A mature follower of Jesus Christ can rattle those things off. The Apostle Paul said to Timothy, fan the gift to flame. So if you can't answer that question, awesome, let's sit down, let's figure it out, let's open it up. Dude, I don't have a lot of tools, okay? Some of y'all got lots of tools, and it's awesome, and I'm glad that we're friends because I don't have certain tools, and so when I need to do things, you're the people I call. Some of you have entire vans and trucks dedicated to moving tools around. It's off the hook Awesome. When we have building projects here at the church, y'all show up with these wonderful tools that I don't have so that things can get built and things can happen because I don't have those tools. There's like this interdependency that Jesus Christ has built into the church. Spiritually, you can do things that I can't do and I need you to do them so that I can be built up. Spiritually, there's things I can do that you can't do and you want me to do them so that you can be built up. So do you know what the tools are? That might be a great next step of growth for you to build up the church. Uh, this, this last week, this last month, I mean, new people stepping up to serve. It, just, it fills my heart so much. <laughs> Christy, do I see you back there? What's up, girl? Dude, Christy was teaching at VBS. Knocked it out of the park. Like Babe Ruth knocked it out of the park. She's going to start serving over in the Blasting Zone, teaching, using her gifts. I'm so excited. Stephen Ashford, dude, you're the man. Stephen Ashford's learning how to cut video and upload stuff to the podcast. How many of you appreciate being able to go online and catch up with previous messages in the past? Some of you? Cool. That makes me feel great. How many of you get annoyed when you go online to get caught up and it's not there? Raise your hand. <laughs> Actually, can we talk about that? Yeah, that would be my fault. I just didn't have time to do it that week. So Steve says, hey, can I learn how to do that? He's giving of his time, his resources to help get the message out. That's a beautiful thing. Emily, starting to serve in the nursery. She even came back the following week. You go, girl. That's awesome. Well, go. Using gifts, using time, using resources to build the church. New teachers over in the blasting zone. New people at first impressions. Building the faith. Growing hope, using gifts. Are you being built up? I mean, you could plot that one out too. How much of my time do I give to being built up by others? Am I receiving edification from the church? Do I let others love all the parts, even the broken parts? Do I receive edification and correction? Whether it's in a life group or a commitment to Sunday morning worship or a Bible study or meeting brothers and sisters for coffee throughout the week. Ongoing discipleship relationship. Plot that out. Plot that out. Are you being built up? 
And then get your devotion quotient. Compare that to 520. See what your number is. You know what they say? Numbers don't. I know. Wish they did. At the end of 2 Corinthians, Paul's last letter to this same church, he has these words to say. He says, examine yourselves. See whether you're in the faith. Test yourself. Test yourself. The measure of my devotion to Jesus Christ will be manifest in the measure of my devotion one to another. The measure of my devotion to Jesus Christ will be measured in my devotion one to another. Oh, I love Jesus. I just can't give his people the time of day. Can we talk about that? Can we talk about that? As hard as it calls for humility and, and the submission of self and to set aside boasting and arrogance and rudeness and self-interest, to be patient, to be kind, to support one another, to bear with one another and believe and endure with one another, to hope with one another. Yeah. Could you imagine what would happen though? if an entire movement was birthed out of a fellowship of people committed to loving others. Let's just do that. Let's just love others. Let's build their faith. Let's give them hope. Why don't you take out the connection card that's located uh, that you received when you walk in. It's the tear off part. It tears right off. Let's all tear it off. Make sure it makes that sound. Everyone make that sound. Some of you, that's, oh, yeah, you did it. Isn't that more fun? Brian's like, not a chance. I'm not doing it. I'm not making that sound. Yeah. Maybe you're at a place in your faith where you say, you know what? It's, it's, time. it's time to start doing this. I, I need to take devotion seriously, devotion to others seriously. I don't know where that needs to be. I don't need, I don't know what tools I have, but Pastor Paul, here I am. Maybe just write down your name, write down devotion. Or maybe you serve once a month. Maybe you're, you know, you, you do a one rotation somewhere. You're like, you know, I, I can serve more. Are there other teams or other means that, that I could help out? You know, some people serve every single Sunday. Like, that's a lot. You know how much time that is? Take 0.38 times four. All right, that's not as fun as I thought it was. <laughs> you host life groups and, and you teach Bible studies and that's, that's a beautiful thing. But let's let all of our life be defined by a pursuit of love for others, growing their faith and increasing their hope. Maybe just write down your connection card. Put it in the basket as it comes by. Write down devotion. We'll get a hold of you. Let's, we'll find a way to grow in your gifts, to, to find a place where you can serve. Okay. 1949, Pete Seeger wrote a song that wasn't very popular. didn't go very far until Peter, Paul, and Mary picked it up in the early 60s. Anyone know what it is? Fire the hammer. Tom knew that's what it was. Patsy knew that's what this was. Kevin's like, yeah, it's, it's if I had a hammer. If I had a hammer, I'd hammer in the morning. I'd hammer in the evening. I'd hammer out danger. I'd hammer out warning. I'd hammer out the love between my brothers and my sisters all over this land. It didn't mean a lot in 1949. It was kind of a response to some of the labor crisis that was going on in the country. The hammer was an image of power, of influence, can we, if I could change things, if I had the power to make things different, I'd do this. Well, by the time that Peter, Paul, and Mary came around in the civil rights movement in the early 1960s, that was a beautiful anthem to capture the needs of a generation in our country. If I, if I had a hammer, I'd hammer in the morning. I'd hammer in the evening. I'd hammer out dangers and warnings. I 
hammer out the love between brother and sister all over this land. But then the song takes a turn in this last verse. I have a hammer. I have power. I have ability. I have resource. And I will hammer in the morning and the evening all over this land. I don't know if Pete was reading what the Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians 1, 28. I warn and I teach with all the energy that he has through me to mature everyone into Jesus Christ. That sounds a lot like he did. When the perfect returns, my commitment, he will find me building. What will he find you doing? Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came, and that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life, and a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.